This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. From, I don't know, second, maybe third week in a row, I'm going to have to uh, postpone our interview with William Wellman. We'll do it. I'm going to quit promising at this point. We'll get to it the next few weeks. How's that? I have a chance to chat with uh, Oscar-winning um, sound effects man Ben Burt. He was very nice and is uh, eager to t- speak with us, but uh, that'll be on the same show at some unspecified, not-too-distant future point. Today we're going to attempt to uh, discuss a little bit about what's going on over in Iran with someone who has been at uh, center stage in the um, the media battle over this, our good pal Benjamin Jonas. Benjamin's been a pretty busy guy with, with all the interviews that have been going on with uh, you know various national and international news agencies. We're pleased to have him. We hope to get him a little bit later in today's show. Let us begin today's show as we like to do with On This Date in History. It's the 2nd of July, and it was on July 2nd in the year 1644 that Oliver Cromwell's Roundheads crushed Prince Rupert's Royalist at the Battle of Marston Moor in their first major defeat in the English Civil War. Cromwell, who ran the best army in the British Isles, went on to become... Was it Lord Protector? I'm blanking on the title. But anyway, he was the first non-king to rule, and I think you would say the only non-king to rule the British Isles in the last thousand years. His uh, ruling bunch uh, was a bunch of Puritans, and they weren't very popular. They were so unpopular that a lot of them wound up emigrating and coming to America, where they became the backbone of the future government of the United States. On this date in 1853, the Crimean War began, when the Russian army crossed the Pruth River and invaded Turkey. On a happier note, five years later, Russian serfdom on imperial lands, anyway, was banned by Tsar Alexander II, who was then assassinated for his pains. It was on July 2nd in 1937 that the American aviator and show-off Amelia Earhart disappeared. She was attempting to fly around the world when they lost their bearings over the Pacific Ocean. No trace of Earhart or her navigator Fred Noonan have ever been found. And it was on July 2nd in 1947 that something crashed to Earth near Roswell, New Mexico. And no, it was not an alien flying saucer. Although it is indisputable that the initial press release from the Air Force base did indeed list that as the explanation for what was found. And it appears that uh, this did nothing for the Army commander's future career in public relations. On this date in 1964, U.S. President Lyndon B. Johnson signed the Civil Rights Act into law, an act which was recently modified a bit by the U.S. Supreme Court, something we may talk a little bit about later. And on July 2nd of 1976, following 30 years of war, North and South Vietnam again became one country, with Hanoi as the capital. It's a fascinating story, what happened over in Vietnam, the whole geopolitics of it, and we certainly have no time to go into that today, but uh, if you're interested, we'd refer you back to our own archives for our interview with David Lamb, an excellent journalist we were privileged to have on this program a couple years ago talking about Vietnam. If you didn't hear it in the first go-round or would like to hear it again, we, we would recommend you do so. It's worth mentioning that uh, if you haven't checked it out, we've got it 
something like 300 shows available for broadcast and podcasting uh, on our website, radioparallax.com. All right, our quote of the day comes from evangelical Christian Craig Sorley, a self-proclaimed environmental missionary trying to encourage green practices in Kenya. He said, The deeply embedded view is that Christ is returning soon, so why should we care about the environment? Saying that, Mr. Sorley was lamenting the attitude of his church colleagues back in the United States, which apparently is more regressive than that found in Kenya. Our quip of the day is one of the online suggestions for how to open the conversation with aliens. This is after the SETI Institute asked for ideas. The favorite suggestion was, If you do come for a visit, please don't kidnap us and poke us. We hate that. Our bonus quip of the day comes from uh, American war criminal Henry Kissinger, who said recently, 90% of politicians give the other 10% a bad name. It's, a, it's an old joke, and we used it last week on the show applying to lawyers, but, uh, you know, Henry the K ought to know. Our stat of the day is that despite bans on cell phone use in many schools, one-fourth of teenagers' text messages are sent during class time. It's according to an industry survey reported in USA Today. And our bonus stat is 1861. As in the year, that was the, uh, that was the time, apparently, when Italy and Switzerland last designated their borders. They're now giving it another look because the melting alpine glaciers are uh, messing up their old boundary lines. Of course, that's if you believe in all this global warming stuff. We got a recent email from Richard who said, this global warming is a hoax. To which we say, Richard... Take your medicine and lie down. Yeah, I still get this from some of my, uh, some of my Republican friends. The B-Ran article on June 15th noting that despite global warming, some glaciers in Argentina are actually advancing, which caused our sometime correspondent Steve to ask, well, don't, don't you think that maybe this, maybe this whole global warming thing is a little bit in doubt? And my reply is, Steve, at this point, the answer is No. As the article in the B explained, some glaciers here and there are growing. In fact, the glaciers on our own Mount Shasta appear to be getting larger rather than smaller. Mount Shasta, in fact, has seven relatively small glaciers on its, uh, on its sides. They're the only historical glaciers in the continental U.S. known to be growing. There's a reason for this. Warming of the Pacific Ocean means more moist air is sweeping over northern California and depositing more snow and ice on the peak. So it's more a fluke of Shasta's location than it is an indicator that global warming is not taking place. Our joke of the week comes from Bizarro by Peraro. And yes, like a stopped clock that's right twice a day, by drawing cartoons day in and day out, eventually, apparently due to random chance, Mr. Peraro actually once hit the funny bone. The cartoon, which we got from uh, the current issue of the Humor Times, shows a palm tree and a voice bubble that's sinking into the sea, and the cartoon is labeled, How Climate Change Will Affect Man on a Desert Island Cartoons. As far as we know, this is the second Peraro cartoon in history that contains actual humor. I don't know, I hate to bag on the guy, but uh, some time ago, our, our good friend Franz over at It's About You actually offered 
as a potential guest, Dan Perraro. He wrote Franz back and said, well, you know, if I did interview him, my first question would have to be, how do you earn a living doing this? But I think we all figured that was a bad idea, so it never happened. I think we may mention on last week's show that our, uh, our good pal Will Durst is taking the summer off. So we're going to have to go for a little humor section at the end of uh, segment A today and probably do that for the next few weeks until Will, uh, Will comes back uh, in the fall. Fortunately, the Humor Times is an excellent, uh, excellent resource uh, to make up for this, and we'll be relying upon that a little bit later. Let us, at this point, go to the good, the bad, and the ugly. According to The Week magazine, it was a good week last week for cockroaches. After a California man, apparently desperate to rid his apartment of the hardy insects, set off at least 18 bug bombs in his apartment. This triggered an explosion that shattered windows and almost blew his roof off. According to eyewitnesses, live roaches were seen crawling through the rubble. It was, conversely, a bad week, and probably a really bad week for taxpayers last week when it was announced that the the city of New York is paying about 700 teachers who were accused of offenses ranging from sexual misconduct to insubordination, paying them their full salaries of more than $70,000 a year to sit in a room and do nothing. Explained to school official, it's extremely difficult to fire a tenured teacher. And no, we have no explanation for why they're not doing janitorial service or, or otherwise rendering something useful to the school district. And we also have no explanation for how it is you can pull down 70 grand a year being a teacher in New York City. We'll have to go to our New York City correspondent on this, uh, Stephen Valentino, known locally as a former radio host on KDVS and KZFR in Chico. He's currently employed at WNYC in New York and has been a great resource for us in the Big Apple. We're going to have to ask Steve about this one. But finally, it was an ugly week for... Free expression after a Pentagon employee leaked an internal anti-terrorism training exam that included the following question. Which of the following is an example of low-level terrorism? Sounds like a reasonable question, except that the correct answer in this case was protests. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. Apparently, the people at the Pentagon consider political protests an example of low-level Terrorism. Of course, in fairness, we have noted on this program that some of the protests we've seen at, uh, at various abortion clinics could be described as a low-level terrorist action. Of course, what comes to mind when I say that is the fact that the clinic in my neighborhood was firebombed some years back. Anyway, fill in your own wisecrack here. Now, as you may well know, dear listener, if you've heard this program before, and most likely you have, our first segment usually kind of rounds out with whatever we feel like. And what I feel like doing today is uh, some of the miscellaneous items that have been piling up over the last few weeks. One letter to the, uh, the editor caught my eye. 
was in the San Francisco Chronicle a few weeks back. In, in, in light of the demotion of the statue of Thomas Starr King, demotion as in being yanked out of our nation's capital, to be replaced by that of Ronald Reagan. Wrote Mark Rumminger from Berkeley, It'd be wonderful if California Republican lawmakers would celebrate the dedication of the new Ronald Reagan statue in the U.S. Capitol by following the real Reagan instead of the mythical Reagan. Although worshipped as an anti-tax crusader these days, Reagan raised taxes numerous times. In 1967, as governor, Reagan signed the largest tax increase in California history to that point, one that would be worth, one that would be worth $6 billion in today's dollars. He realized that cuts alone wouldn't solve California's budget problems, so he worked with the legislature to pass a tax package. As president, Reagan signed several tax increases, including one to help shore up the Social Security system and another that closed corporate tax loopholes. Ronald Reagan was certainly not all bad, although I know a lot of you are profound detractors. But I certainly agree with Mr. Rumminger that it would be good to look at the real guy instead of the guy that the Republican mythology has now elevated to uh, near saint-like status. On this very same news uh, item of the statue being the statues being switched, Ken Cruz of San Francisco wrote, A great wrong has been committed by our very own state representatives, both conservative and liberal. Thomas Starr King was removed from the National Statuary Hall to smiles, cheers, and celebration. The Unitarian abolitionist with the big voice who worked himself to an early grave to sway the allegiance of California and all its newfound wealth from the Confederacy to the Union, sealing the fate of the slave traders, this great man we have removed from the memory of our nation. If you've never heard of Thomas Starr King, please go find out about him. Keep his memory green. Here's an item I simply can't resist uh, from research at the University of California. Apparently, if you want to stay out in the sun all day and not get burned, you do have the option of slathering on hippo sweat. Apparently, UC researchers recently began collecting the what's described as red, oily sweat of hippos from a zoo to figure out how the virtually hairless animal could stand in the beating African sun all day and not get burned. They found that the sweat has, and you think you have a bad job, has a liquid crystalline structure that diffuses beams of light and a red pigment that absorbs them, so it blocks or screens most of the sun's harmful rays. And as all good research, and I guess this qualifies uh, as good research um, can do, this has stimulated a search for similar compounds that may have applications on our pharmacy shelves. A chemical engineer, Christopher, Christopher Vinnie, was quoted as telling Discovery News, this stuff could be liquid gold just so long as it doesn't smell like hippo. And speaking of smells, researchers at Rice University in Texas provided 48 women with sweat from three groups of men. Two of the groups had been watching neutral or happy videos as they sweated. And the third group had watched a horror movie. The women were shown pictures of the different men's faces as they smelled their sweat and were asked to describe the emotions on the faces. When inhaling the smell of Fear sweat, which was the sweat of the man watching the scary film, the women were significantly more likely to say the men in the sample photos were frightened. Of course, I think the terrified look on their face may have, may have helped. No, I guess, I guess they were neutral pictures. Anyway, study author Denise Chen told LiveScience.com, our findings provide direct behavioral evidence that human sweat contains emotional meanings. And could well be. And I think other interpretations for this research are probably also possible.
And boy, how you can get a grant to study this kind of stuff, I want to find out. And from the world of politics, we have this item. In response to North Korea's threat to launch a missile toward Hawaii, the U.S. this week deployed ground-based missile interceptors and a floating radar to protect the islands. Uh, apparently, Defense Department officials admitted that they doubted that North Korean missiles could remain aloft across 4,500 miles of ocean, but they were reinforcing the island's defenses as a precaution. Since as far as we know, uh, ground-based missile interceptors have failed miserably in most tests, uh, why Hawaii should feel any safer, we don't know. In fact, it seems to us that this whole idea that, uh, that, uh, that Kim Jong-il is some kind of credible threat to the U.S. is something promoted by those who like it when we write big fat checks to defense contractors to keep us, quote, safer, unquote. All right, in lieu of Will Durst, let's do a few items from, uh, from the Humor Times. Argus Hamilton had the following to say. North Korea's Kim Jong-il named his third son to succeed him, raising hopes the country may not self-destruct. The son is known to be competitive, a heavy drinker, and somewhat proficient in English. He has already been given the official title, Kim W-il. Let's just hope that nobody here in the U.S. misunderestimates Kim Jong-il's number three son. Here's one from the dumb crook file. Apparently deputies in Salt Lake City are looking for a man who robbed what he may have thought was a diamond company. Apparently black diamond equipment actually manufactures climbing and skiing equipment. The robber brandishing an ice pick threatened the shift manager and demanded precious metals and money. According to the Salt Lake Tribune, uh, the manager told the robbers the company does not deal in diamonds or precious metals. I guess that satisfied him. Speaking of North Korea, we like the faux news section of the Humor Times. <laughs> Article about Kim Il-jong. Headline, U.S. to respond to North Korea with strongest possible adjectives. Obama, we are prepared to consult the thesaurus. In remarks to reporters of the White House, Mr. Obama called the missile test Reckless, reprehensible, objectionable, senseless, egregious, and condemnable. Standing at the president's side, Vice President Joe Biden chipped in, branding the North Korean leader totally whacked. Headline below that one, Obama offers to trade Geraldo Rivera for jailed American reporters in North Korea. Postulates U.S. can manage without him. And my personal favorite among recent faux new items from the Humor Times whose motto, by the way, is, we, we report, you decry. The headline is, Captain Sullenberger ditches second plane in Hudson on D.A.R.E. Anyway... Let's take a short break. You're listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. Stay with us. We expect uh, momentarily to go to Washington, D.C. to speak with our good pal Benjamin Jonas about what's going on in Iran, specifically how the U.S. government and the Voice of America is doing what it can to get information out to the Iranian people. This has been a valuable resource in Iran because the government has been uh, been cracking down thoroughly on uh, on other on outside sources of news. Well, the 
Jojo's always 